Hi, everyone. Lovely to see you back in the Zoom room. Um, welcome to those of you who's this is your first time lunchtime conversation series. This is our wisdom hour with um, much love voices from the Dumbo Feather community. <coughs> and this week, Barry and I are chatting with Claire Dunn. Hi, Claire. Um, hey, Claire. Hi, Claire. Speak so we can see you. Hey. Hi. So good to have you with us. Claire is a... Um, She's been writing for Dumbo Feather for the past two, two or three years. We've got her a long-form conversation with her in this current issue, our mysticism issue, in which she kind of explores mysticism and how it plays out in her, her work in human kind of nature-based development. It's really wonderful. Claire is very cool. She's, she's a rewilding facilitator. Claire, yeah, I was going to say, Claire is like the only person prepared for the apocalypse, I just want to point out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> she's a, a rewilding facilitator mentor um so i think about 10 years ago we'll hear a bit of this from claire but about 10 years ago she she had a year without matches in the bush living out in the bush without matches and then subsequently wrote a book about that and has since been doing all kinds of really incredible retreats and rewilding work kind of exploring the, the intersection of, of, of really rewilding our inner and outer landscape so she's got so much for us and i'm super pumped to have you here Claire, uh, Claire, do you want to begin by, by acknowledging the country that you're on for us all? Yes, love to. Yeah, I just wanted to to say hi to the however 81 people I think we have here, and um, I've never done one of these before. It's quite um quite a buzz. It's, it's fun, hey! Welcome, familiar faces as well. Wow, it's really wild. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I love to start by acknowledging uh, the country that I'm living on at the moment, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And um, very, very specifically, I'm here on the, the banks of the Birrarung, or the otherwise known as the Yarra River. And I'm um, going to give my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and perhaps. Wherever you are, you can uh, spend a, a moment of breath or two acknowledging whatever First Nations people or lineages that you know of in your land and uh, whatever gratitudes or respect it's right for you to, um, to acknowledge right now. Claire, and as always, we invite everyone to, to share the country that they're on in the, in the chat function. Um, a couple of things from us, from Barry and I, before we launch into this conversation. What are we going to be telling you? So we are going to continue our conversation series over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm just lining up. I'm speaking with a few people that we're going to be featuring. And just stay tuned on the Dumbo Feather channels, um, the Dumbo Feather newsletter, uh, to find out who we're going to be, who our guests will be over the next three or four lunchtimes. Um, Stay tuned for that. Last week, we, we dropped this incredible podcast that I want to tell you about that Barry's been involved in. It's called Myths, Morals and Money. And it's Barry in conversation with three Jungian analysts. And you might know these analysts from uh, the podcast, This Jungian Life. It's like fascinating, fascinating stuff. And so Barry and the, the analysts, they kind of unpack the, the psyche on which our current economy is built. It's like they really nerd out and go hard and go deep. But it's, it's, it's riveting. and um, They've just dropped the first four episodes, so you can subscribe to that podcast now, Myths, Morals and Money, and we've also dropped an episode on the Dumbo Feather podcast if you want to tune into that. Vera, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I'm just saying that a couple of people listened. Oh, great, to it. great. And I'm so excited and makes me kind of want to throw up as well. Um, that's really great. And if you guys can spare the time, I know none of us actually have time in lockdown life, but if you if you can, can you leave a review? And if you hated it, can you not leave a review? <laughs> <laughs> Just um, it would really help us because it sort of elevates the podcast and gives it a bit of cred. Um, and I'm so happy for those of you who have listened to it. I hope it's nourishing in some way or provoking um, some thinking. Oh, yay, Laura, thank you. Ranella, thank you. Um, everyone who's commenting on the chats, I can see that. That's making me really happy. Because um, I, I, I did wake up this morning a little bit in an echo chamber, like not knowing because we're not in contact with each other. It's, it's so hard to know um, what the resonant field is taking in and not. And I know all, a lot of us are 
tired and um, trying to find cupboards to hide in to grab space for ourselves. So I'm hugely appreciative if any of you are listening to the podcast we're putting out. We've also got a rad podcast. These are going out um, during the week. So if anybody misses these, you can send them to loved ones and, and they're working pretty well, aren't they, Nath? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, we're really, we're really happy with them. And um, my conversation series with Dr. Anna Rubenstein on how COVID is a rite of passage. If you do nothing else, get your ears around it. It is awesome. I'm finding it awesome. So I, I think something's awesome if I did it and found it nourishing. I'm not yeah. telling you I think it's awesome because I'm in it. Um, <laughs> but what's uh, great about it is because Anna has so much knowledge about the, the rite of passage and the kind of the processes and the stages involved in a rite of passage, the elements of it. So he kind of talks about that on an individual transformation journey and then Barry is kind of contextualising it for what we're all experiencing at this moment. So I love that kind of... Yeah, so, so a couple of questions coming up on the chat, which is just get download the Dumbo Feather podcast. And then in there you'll see conversation series, which is these lunchtime conversations numbered uh, in order, and then you'll see rites of passage, Barry and Dr Anna Rubenstein, and there's episode one and there's episode two, and then I'm recording episode three tomorrow, which is it's a bit of a cliffhanger. And then the other podcast is Myths, Morals and Money, which Jazz has just posted, which I spent months developing and... <laughs> that one's a big one. Um, so I can see your names on the side that you've listened to the podcast. So, like, guys, I know your names now. If you don't leave a review, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to find you. Um, that would be that would be awesome. But we've just been releasing all this um, content because it's moving in us right now and feels really nourishing um, for us. So anything that's nourishing for us, we give to you um, with our love, like this conversation with Claire. And uh, what else, Nath? There's also, ah, oh. like to continue the nerd fest, um, smallgiants.com.au. We have just relaunched our website. Why, why that is relevant to one's life is because it sort of articulates a bit more about what we're doing and why we're doing it and the direction we're moving in at this point in time. So putting that out there. <laughs> and I just, I actually just wanted to say, Good morning. And to acknowledge that I think a lot of people are feeling really tired and a lot of people are kind of fatigued. And we just had a big um, group chat at Small Giants and I we had someone checking in on our mental health. So I just wanted to check in on everyone on this call. I'm scrolling through the pages. So if you open up your video, I can see your beautiful faces. Hi, Kemi. I can see that you are on the call. My love goes out to all of you. And if you're... Um, not feeling great, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling over it, we're all feeling the same feelings. And um, I was asking the mental health expert if it was a bad strategy for coping that I was shouting at the kids while running away from them and looking for a glass of whiskey. Apparently not a great strategy. However, <laughs> I wanted to give permission to everyone to just be feeling whatever you're feeling um, and to honour that. These are extraordinary times and they're, it's a bit of a marathon and we're running that marathon all together. So these Monday lunchtime gatherings feel important for us to see all your beautiful faces. Hello, kids. Hello, gorgeous kids. Ranella's kids are on the call. And um, by all means, feel free to be loose units, to have kids, dogs, parrots, partners, um, all visible on the Zoom because none of us are living a perfect life. Although some people I saw on Instagram are living a perfect life and that was fun to look at too. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, just, just big love and a big shout-out to all of you and thanks for showing up today. Thanks, Bez. Claire, would you like to lead us in a meditation to help us drop in to our chat? Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'd love to. So I just invite everyone to... Find a place that's, that's comfortable and that you can rest into for a few minutes while we just take this uh, sacred pause, just marking the transition between the getting on this, this call and the technology and the introductions and just coming back to an acute, intimate awareness of this moment. Just this precious, fleeting breath. 
Really locating the breath just below your belly button, the centre point of your body, this place of centering, grounding, equilibrium and balance. Really just breathing into this, this place. And as you do, you might find a new awareness of of gravity, of the sweet, sweet pool of the earth, the ever-present, unnegotiable pool of the earth, keeping us tied to this larger body. Just letting yourself feel the weight, the weight of this pool, the truth of this pool, bringing your awareness to where you might, your feet or your, your hands, your legs might meet the earth or the seat. Perhaps inviting in a, a restfulness that comes with this solidity, this constant, this consistent descent to the earth. Maybe letting your awareness also encompass not just your body but this body of the earth and the space around you that you live on your street, potentially, your neighbourhood, getting a sense of the concentric rings of relationship around you. Not needing to push it or exert any effort, just just the invitation to let your awareness take in your surroundings. Maybe there's sounds of birds or cars or other people. just welcoming in the entirety of your inner and outer experience for a few more breaths. Just resting in, in this downward pull, in this next breath, this breath of life. Just bringing something to mind or heart that you might be able to reflect on with gratitude, maybe some point of connection with with another person of your household or on the street today or maybe something of the more than human world that's touched you in the last day or two. Just bringing one, one moment to heart, just softening the heart with this thanksgiving. Letting the gratitude fill you up. And just coming back to sense of body. When you're ready, just slowly blinking eyes back open and noticing who else is joining you for this lunch hour, this time for reflection and contemplation. Feel free to um, type in any gratitude into the chat if you, if you feel to. Mm. Thanks, Claire. Oh, it's so nice to take a moment for gratitude. Beautiful. So, Claire, we... We wanted to have a chat to you a bit about how you've been processing these past five or six weeks. And in particular, as Bear said before, you're, you're best, one of the best people suited to the apocalypse. And we wanted to know a bit about some of the, the rewilding practices and, and how 
they've been nurturing you at this time, mm. how they've been valuable at this time. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it certainly has been an incredibly um, challenging, challenging time uh, for me, um, kind of coming, coming to terms with what it means for me personally, what it means uh, collectively, what it means for my household, what it means globally. And uh, I certainly have been needing to draw on the skills and resources, both kind of internal and external, that I have in order to, to navigate the challenges. Um, and, yeah, primarily, um, primarily my, my resources of um, connection to the, to the more than human world um, have been... Yeah, just so so important, and and really the you know the, the gift in having having the time, having the unexpected, surprising time to to spend more time at my my sit spot, my my place that I that I go to, my, my sacred spot down by the river, and uh, and to to really reconnect with that practice, um, to spend more time on the river and walking and observing, and I've. I've been noticing a lot more and um, foraging more and having a lot more fires and, and gardening a lot more and really outside a, a lot more. Um, and that's been an incredible, incredible gift. Um, Just tell people a bit about where you, where you live because uh, it's quite yeah, at the, risk, at the risk of making everyone a bit envious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I live in one of these kind of anomaly Anomaly kind of old share houses that's been ticking along for for decades, and it's it's um in the inner north of Melbourne, right on the on the Yarra, so about three quarters of an acre of a of a block of land, an old weatherboard house that's kind of perched in the in the millionaire's um millionaire street, and and yeah, continues down right down to the river, and I have a a fire circle and ceremony ground there, and I've built built my own sweat lodge and have a, a jetty, use the neighbour's jetty to launch my paddleboard um, often. And so I'm within five kilometres of the CBD um, and yet I, you know, I feel like I live in the bush. Hmm. So somehow I've manifested this perfect balance between city and bush, which mm. um, I feel very grateful for every day, every time I open my gate, every time mm. I walk down that steep hill um, down mm. to the river. So you mentioned the sit spot. I know that's been a, an important practice for you for many years. Mm. Uh, the sweat lodge is, a, is an interesting one. Can you maybe? Really yeah, know? well, it's it's really um, it's really quite present for me at the moment because I I built it um, with a with a group of friends a, a two years ago, um, and it's I mean sweat lodge is a is a pan cultural ceremony, but better known in Native American cultures, and essentially we, we built a kind of a, an igloo if you like, um, out of tea tree saplings. And the idea is it's, it's a healing ceremony um, and you, you, cover, you cover the structure with blankets and heat up rocks in a, in a really big fire, hot fire, and transfer the rocks um, into the lodge with ceremony and then sit in and sing and pray mm. together. Um, and it fits eight people at a, at a squish, this little lodge, which, um, you know, just looks like a little kind of igloo shelter. And I haven't had time to use it um, for months, actually. Um, and on, on Saturday, just gone, on the Saturday just gone, I woke up and, um, you know, I've been feeling quite, uh, quite a, a lot of strong emotional movement in the last five weeks way more than I usually would which um, I might talk to later in terms of um you know what I'm seeing is the kind of um tapping into the, the field of of gift and wound that's that's kind of coming up um but I woke up on Saturday and um really felt deeply stirred and I decided to have a solo a solo um sweat lodge so I turned my phone off my kind of lunchtime had you know had my last meal at breakfast and fasted the day and and went down to the river with with that with that intent and it was a whole afternoon of preparation and setting the fire and and um, giving thanks for the rocks it's rocks essentially give their life um, once they're heated to that to that degree then they're, they're never they're never the same again um, 
so heating the rocks and and setting up the sweat lodge and then um I'd never I'd never been in one on my own before and then entering into that to that lodge and I and I had such um a need you know and these ceremonies really work when there's a need and I had a, a deep need to to pray and to um to lament and to celebrate and to give thanks for my life and to really kind of check in with myself like what where where am I in, in all of this? Um, where do I place myself? What is my what is the opportunity here for me? And there's something about the release that happens when you you're in that you can't see a thing. It's completely dark, and um, you know the more water you pour on the rocks, the more you sweat, mm-hmm. and it's and it's intense. You know, it's it's a kind of a um, ordeal in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the release out of the lodge and the the dive in the river and um, and the ecstasy of kind of coming out of it and diving into the cold water and the ducks went crazy and and then just the coming back to the fire and, you know, naked around the fire and, and warming myself. And um, I felt literally like, I, like I'd shed physical and emotional layers and really um, had some powerful dreams that connects me, connected me to, um, I guess some lineages and my spiritual path that I've that I haven't been so um, hadn't had the time to really connect with. So that's one of the the practices that yeah I feel very close to right now. It's just still integrating that that experience. Incredible. It's, that's that's really beautiful, Claire, and it ties in with my conversation with Anna Rubenstein at the moment, mm-hmm. which is the potential for us to reconnect with the sacred from our secular place mm. and, and how so much that is sacred around the world. I, I, I referenced, I don't know which podcast I referenced it in, but just last time I was in Rome at the Trevi Fountain, it was the Trevi Fountain, it's Rome, and there were thousands of people, none of whom were looking at the Trevi Fountain, all of whom were taking selfies with selfie sticks, <laughs> facing the, uh, the opposite direction but just yes. had selfie stick reflection of themselves with the and that we'd gotten to this crazy point in our world of Mm. such sort of the nothing like Mm. never-ending story Mm. the nothing has been taking over our collective imagination and our psyche and here we are um, in the rites of passage journey there's a three-stage process the first being separation Mm -hmm. so we've all been forcibly separated Mm -hmm. like literally literally rite of passage you need to be separated Mm. from your normal context and then the middle part the part we're in right now is transformation and then the third part is reintegration Mm. and and we sort of unpack that and what's beautiful about what you're saying is you've had this unique life's journey you've had a unique exploration of the sacred you've lived on country for a really long time you've examined traditional and ancient ways of being Mm in the Mm. world and Mm. in the wild and what you make allowance for in the ritual is your presence with your human experience Mm. and and I think so few of us have that I was you know joking before not joking actually about pulling gunning for a whiskey um (laughs) probably I needed to be in the sweat lodge with you Um, oh look I've had a whiskey night or two don't worry about that (laughs) (laughs) I think I think it's it's a really beautiful thought and maybe um on this call we can all be reflecting about I know that for me I'm finding the sacred when I'm out in nature because we're so lucky here in Australia we can Mm. get out um I'm finding the sacred in in going hard into nature every single day. But like you like you were saying, there's not enough of a release. I do f- feel a bit envious of your ability to sort of have that space and hold that space and really allow your your feelings to wash through you and to have a holding for it. I'm wondering how we might all do something similar in our lives. Well, firstly, I just wanted to reflect on um, the idea of it being a rite of passage or an initiation. Um, and this, I'm finding this discussion um, that, if, you know, a few people, are, commentators are kind of pointing to this idea of a global initiation that's, that's happening or that's starting even. Um, and, those, and those stages of separation and transformation. Of course, transformation means descent, especially in Joseph Campbell's uh, idea of the hero's journey, which is a rite of passage, classic kind of rite of passage. Uh, it's not just transformation through um, 
love and light. It's a transformation through descent um, and, then, and then the kind of integration. And I think there's a lot of merit in this idea of COVID providing a kind of uh, wake-up call that is akin to an initiation because the qualities of initiation like require like transformation and change re- often requires crisis. There's that danger and opportunity in the crisis. You know, we're not forced to make change. Change uh, is is not catalyzed usually when we're in business as usual, cruising on the surface. It comes through some kind of um, shock or danger or, or um, untoward pull into a, a state that is um, unfamiliar to us. There's a kind of disorientation that's that's um, characteristic of initiation, and this, this is this is really reflected in what's happening. There's a it's been so sudden and very disorientating um, and scary, and all of our familiar familiars are taken away and vulnerability is a is a big piece and fragility is a big piece of any kind of initiation like one one puts themselves out in um maybe on a you know vision quest or so forth or some some type of experience that is an ordeal in order to be vulnerable in order to um you know it could be chosen or 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 kind of forced upon you and this in this case it's kind of been forced upon us this state of vulnerability and fragility rocks the boat. It, it is forcing us collectively to say, well, okay, what are we doing here? What trajectory do we consciously choose our boat to, to go on? Um, and it is, it is shocking and scary, something that, you know, life was continuing on as normal. I turn up to my co-working space I go and get a coffee from the coffee shop next door. I have these types of conversations with people. I do my work. I come home. The next week, the locks of the co-working space are changed. Um, I don't see those people anymore. I have no idea what's happening to the barista. And life is completely different. I mean, just those changes in themselves are deeply disturbing because it says everything that you felt it was solid and certain and a given is actually completely a mirage, that things can change incredibly rapidly. Um, and as you said, there's a, there's a thought, there's literally a separation. We are being separated from business as usual, from our usual routines and familiarities. And that is um, catalyzing a kind of deep internal inquiry, like certainly personally for me, but also um, collectively. And as you were talking about, the, the emotional um, element of this descent is really significant. Um, I'm really witnessing in myself and in those around me um, that it is like a poultice that's it's kind of like bringing up uh, whatever has been ticking under the surface that that um, hasn't been looked at, that hasn't had the time, that's been you know buried under the the to do list or the distractions. Um, it's kind it's it's like creating space for all that to bubble up. Um, and I'm really seeing this, this, I guess this is a part of crisis, this gift, gift and the opportunity and the danger. There's the, 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 the chaos and the emotional chaos um, and the suffering that's happening in the world. And there's also this gift um, which is offering transformation, which is offering um, this sacred pause, this, this kind of look at what we're, how we're living and, and saying, well, what do we really want to create here? Um, are we, are we, do we actually want to go back to normal uh, or what's the new normal that we want to, that we want to create? Um, so I, yeah, I really resonate with, with that idea of it being an initiation. Mm, me, too. me too. And I'm interested, Claire, um, I think some of us will naturally come to find our own rituals and ceremonies in this time. That, that mm. Thinking about rituals is a really important part of a rite of passage. But, you know, this has been forced on us. Mm. So I feel like some of us need the guidance to actually mm. bring ritual into our life, or bring things mm. into our life that will actually help us uh, move through this in a healthy way, you know, rather than yes. quite chaotic and us just ending up on our couches the whole time watching yeah. Netflix. So yeah, that's right. I wonder if, and I know you've been working on this book on, on urban rewilding. Mm. Perhaps there's some stuff there that might. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting just on that. I've I've literally been saying to friends for about six months now, I just need to go into lockdown to get this book done. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) It's all it's all for for me to get this book done. Um yeah, so so yes, that I do talk about ritual and ceremony and this book is is about rewilding the urban soul. So it's about rewilding in the broadest sense of the word like how do we looking at wild like self-willed instinctive intuitive or or this idea of our original instructions like how how do we how do humans thrive and how do we thrive in relationship to the more than human world what is human thriving what are the elements of human thriving looking at re-looking at at everything in our life and asking like how could we bring some of those elements back or integrate them with this modern lifestyle it's not about going back to hunter-gatherer times it's about looking at what we've dropped lost misplaced forgotten um and and seeing how we can kind of bring them back and certainly ritual and ceremony and seasonal celebration and connection to the sacred whatever that means for you is is definitely a part of of the rewilding experiment and project for me and the thing is, it can just be something so simple. I mean, and it's so it's it's so universal that we are a part of a, a cyclical day, a cyclical, a yearly seasonal cycle. It doesn't depend on any kind of religion or, or lineage. Everyone has the opportunity to to greet the sunrise. To- uh, I actually want to I actually want to claim that for a minute. One of the most beautiful times I've had in the last. Mm. I don't know, it was a year ago, Claire, you did a rewilding workshop for us at Dumbo Feather and we met at Ceres mm. and we met at sunrise and you lit a fire in a traditional Indigenous Australian way um, and the slowness of it and the smoke and the sound of the crackle of the fire mm. and then you made us some food and some tea on the mm. fire and it was all pretty much done in silence it was so profound. Mm. It was the other than making fire with <laughs> rubbing two sticks together, which most normal mortals can't do. But, <laughs> and the pancakes with wattle. Oh my god, they were good. I remember them. They were good. Wow, <laughs> good and the fresh honey. But 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 barring the availability of fresh wattle flowers, if anyone's um, tuned, time, in. it's time for acorn pancakes at the moment, anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, what were you thinking? It's acorn pancakes. <laughs> no, um, clearly, I knew that it was acorn pancakes. Um, but that that sound of the crackle of the fire and the being awake before the light hit the earth, mm. the mythopoetic quality of it, the awareness that we're missing, we're missing all these incredible happenings, mm. and we can just gently arrive to them and they'll, they'll mm. happen, you know, and, mm. and do the ritual of lighting a fire at that time. Um, well, I mean, a question on that is, like, how do you get out of bed at that time? Because <laughs> I feel, I feel the, uh, the pull of it. I can see it out my window, how beautiful the sky looks. But, oh, what is that? <laughs> well, I have, it, I have it too, Nathan, and I had it this morning. I woke up at 5.30. I didn't want to get out of bed. Mm. And I made myself get out of bed and... Mm. and take a cup of tea down to the river. And I often, you know, just to be honest, I often don't, <laughs> but mm. I did this morning. And it was, it was one of those moments where I thought, why would I not do this every single day? The mist was rising from the river, that the light, the, the sunrise was pink light, pre-sunrise light. Mm. Um, and the karawongs calling in the distance just took me back to a, a place that I love. And the, it was just absolutely stunning. I was probably down there for 20 minutes and then I got cold and came back up. But, it, you know, you don't have to have a river. Every, there's this, the sun rises every day. The sun sets every day. There's a relationship to the stars and the moon. And um, I was, yeah, the, the stars are more vibrant now because there's less uh, air pollution. It can just be something really simple like a ritual of, um, you know, foraging a couple of greens for lunch and really making that a moment of, of connection because it connects me to the earth because it connects me to the cycles specifically. Just having even the loosest awareness of what's 
growing when a couple of things that I can pick in my backyard and, and chart their their cycle of life, life and death. It's it's incredibly connective and um, and soothing. It's deeply soothing. It you know it really has that sense of deep time, taking mm-hmm. us out of the kind of immediacy of like how long are we in this lockdown for? And you know there's these there's these deep time processes, these cyclical processes that are available to us everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about people who are kind of really feeling the weight of this and can't get up at five thirty and the volition to do things i'm just having the inspiration that you know maybe maybe you invite friends to get on zoom and meet each other down by wherever whatever sure. 30 and you can all light a fire or have a cup of tea and see each other like like make dates to do right. magical things Account- accountability is good and it, and it doesn't need to be every day but it's just you know it can really fill up that well so quickly um, so efficiently, just that that pause. And Joseph Campbell has this beautiful quote, something along the lines of everyone needs an hour a day. I mean, that'd be great, but an hour a day where you don't know who your friends are, you don't know what your plans are, you don't know what your job is. It's that creative incubation space where it's just pure beingness. It's just purely reveling in the beauty um, being present to whatever is, and for me, that's so easily accessible when I'm in a place that is wildish, um, that has it. You know, even just watching the, the autumn leaves colour at the moment in the street, that that's enough to connect me to that that sense of deep time. It's it's literally just phone off and watching and listening, and that that really that listening from the heart as well. It's it's not listening to identify things or work things out. It's that ah. Oh, what are the things that I can only hear with it, with the ears of the heart? Mm. Mm. When Barry mentioned our, um, that ritual we did at Dumbo Feather with you, the, the questions that you asked us came to mind and I feel like they could be really, I don't know if you remember, the questions that you asked around how we can connect more deeply to our local Oh, the, tu- the tourist test? Yeah, yeah. Can you share <laughs> that with us again? I just thought that's so great. Sure. I think maybe I'll just give you a pop quiz of five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, this is known as a tourist test, but please don't think of it like as a test, but it's really a bit of a, a marker of belonging, a kind of belonging marker. How well do you know yourself in relationship to your environment? So I'll just pop five questions into the space and you can, you, well, you, you could, you could chat, use the chat. Um, so, so the first question might be, what's the first bird that calls in the morning? What's the first bird that calls in the morning? I know for me, it's the kookaburra because they wake me up and there's a family of them down the river. But for you, it's probably something different because there's not that many kookaburras around Melbourne. Second question, what is the nearest wild edible to your back door, if you have a back door or your front door, if that's more appropriate? What's the nearest, what is the nearest wild edible? probably a weed or what's known as a weed, something quite close to you. For mine, for me, it would be um, oxalis, wood sorrel. Can you eat oxalis? You can, yes. What, what would you do with oxalis? That's not, that doesn't work with you're my thinking, You're thinking about the one with the, that comes out in the yellow flowers? Yes. Yeah, or otherwise known as soursop. It's just, it's like a, it's quite delicious. You wouldn't want to eat buckets of it because it does have oxalic acid in, but it's, Sour, kind of lemony taste. So that might be one that other people know of. So a third question might be, what are five mammals that live or roam within 200 metres of you? Because there would be. I imagine there would be five mammals that live or roam within 200 metres of you. Uh, and you might want to look count... Um, you know, brush-tailed possum, ring-tailed possum, fox, domestic dog, domestic cat, there's five. Fourth question might be, what stage of the lunar cycle are we in right now? I think new moon was last Wednesday, if I'm correct. And a fifth question might be, what is one uh, poisonous animal that might live in your immediate vicinity Mm. 
That's a, a hazard question, in other words. So there, anyway, there's five. Yeah. I could keep going. It's lots of fun. <laughs> yeah, I find them so great to kind of get us to think about yeah. the kind of local ecosystem. Oh, I, I, loved, I loved one that you asked, which was about the water resource. Oh, yes. Yes, oh, I, I, failed, I failed at that one. <laughs> so that, that is where does your water come from? When you turn the tap on, where's it coming from? And when it goes down the drain, where does it end up? Mm. Simple. But I was a bit stumped on one of them. Yeah, I, I wanted to know a bit, Claire, about how that experience that you had, was it 10 years ago now that you were out mm. uh, living yes. on your own in the bush? <laughs> how that has kind of evolved um, in you and kind of what your relationship with it, with that experience is now in your life and, and kind of mm. how are you continually kind of energised by it or learning from yeah. it or discovering Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, it's interesting because I've just rewritten the first chapter of this new book and, um, and ha- you know, had to talk about the backstory of, of the year in the bush, which um, was 10 years ago, so it's quite a long time ago. And I quite honestly wrote that I'm still only really coming to terms with what it offered me now. It was such a powerful experience and such a game changer um, that I really, I really am only kind of understanding how it worked, what the mechanics of it were in terms of um, a very central part of an an initiatory path. Um, But Claire, Claire, can you just explain to everyone what you did? Mm. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, Yeah, so 2010 I spent a year out bush um, practising wilderness survival skills and uh, nature observation and awareness and basically on a, on a kind of deep diving retreat, um, yeah, looking at the changing face of myself and the bush over four seasons. So and this was a massive detour in your life, right? You'd left a full-time working kind of situation. Yeah, left, left a uh, career as a campaigner with the Wilderness Society and turning my attention um, really strongly in the direction of the human-nature relationship and the root cause of our ecological crisis, which was a profound disconnection to, to nature. Um, and that's been, that's been the kind of consistent um, <clears throat> passion and interest and inquiry of mine. And, and it's deepening too. So it's, you know, at the moment I feel like that experience, in, well, it's offered me so much, but what it is kind of um, where it's at now is a, is a really strong passion and interest in nature-based human transformation. So the physical skills are, are an absolutely beautiful, nourishing part of my life still. Um, but the, I'm so curious about the overlap between nature and psyche and how, how humans um, develop, like what's a natural human development. If we were to follow a life cycle just like a dandelion, um, what would be that life cycle? And how is nature an integral part of that? And what practices and ceremonies and ways of being do we need to, to bring back and revitalise and rehydrate in order to um, really move through that life cycle so that we become fully-fledged adults that know why we're here, that we have something to give to the world, that we, that we know is our unique piece mm. and, and that we become elders. Mm. Did you feel like you came closer to that cycle in the year that you had? In the well, I actually feel like that year was um, just cracked the egg open. <laughs> it would be nice to say it was a neat year year package where I kind of went in and plucked plucked the gold and and um, went on my merry way. And it certainly it was a very mystical journey, way way more um, mysterious than I could have imagined, and. Some of those dreams and experiences I had out there are still are still unfolding, but it really just cracked cracked the egg open. It cracked me open. The, the enculturated Western, even though I'd been a campaigner and been following a you know alternative path for many years, still I was a product of Western culture and patriarchal Western culture, and it re, re- rewrote that. It it began to it 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 kind of just um, unravelled that. And I was starting from ground zero again and it's, and it's been a process of kind of choosing and relearning and healing um, from there to, to find another way to be and to, to um, really try and integrate that 
that very timeless, mystical way of living with this modern modern culture and, and wanting to give, wanting to come back to the community and give, but not lose the sense of deep connectedness that I that I experienced out there. Um, so it's for like, sure. It's like your experience is now our collective experience. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> We're all we've all been forced into this retreat. We've been forced mm. into a quite mystical place where time mm. different quality. Of course, I'm being interrupted by a child. Can you leave, please? <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, they probably wanted me to make him a sandwich. Um, <laughs> the mystical, uh, mystical sandwich. It was a mystical sandwich. Um, and I think, I think that's the point. We're in this container and we're kind of also in our ordinariness. Yes. And We've been talking on this call about how we do the reintegration, mm. how we go from this experience where I love how at the beginning you were talking about in the sweat lodge, you were allowing yourself to feel and be embodied mm. and be affected by your mm. context. And there, I think there needs to be that. I, I feel permission given from what yes. you said. And then, and then how all of this is affecting us. They did a poll in The Guardian, I think. I'll try and find the link and put it in the chat stream. And this was last week. 91% of British people do not want to return to life before mm. COVID. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do we, and they named it, they named it in many of the ways you're naming it, that slowing down of the nervous system. Mm that connection to nature, people are outside, people are in a different feeling of time and space and connection, connection mm. to neighbours they'd never met, mm. connection to family that they haven't, all uh, connections. Domestic spaces coming more alive. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. stuff we want to keep. Yeah. And then and it's this, it's this amazing moment in history where we it's are true. modern and we, what choices will we make as we reintegrate? Yes. And how do we hold that sacredness that you're talking mm. about? Well, it is, it is a pre, it, like, it's a liminal time, um, as is another characteristic of this kind of initiation. It's a liminal time and it's, it's really precious to be in that liminal time when the, the veils are a bit thin. So I know that I've been having um, really strong dreams, much stronger dreams than, than usual, and that that's happening collectively I've been hearing and I, I tuned into this Spooky Dreams Cafe that's um, the Jung, the Jung platform in the, in the States is offering one of the, the best-known dream workers, Robert Bosnack, he's doing this free dream work every week because the dreams is just so um, tapping into the collective unconscious, which is really fascinating. Um, but it is this, this pregnant pause, this really sacred pause where we can ask what we've had this time to reflect, what are our priorities? What is really important to us? What is this experience offering me? What do I know now is most important to me? And also, what do I not want to go back to? So some of the things that we're experiencing, like um, online social gatherings and, you know, the world kind of going online, well, I certainly don't want to continue that, or the medicalization of the world or... Um, you know, there's certain elements that are like, wow, this is the trajectory we were going on and now COVID is kind of like amplifying some of the negatives of the, the path that we were following, like, yeah, greater online engagement and, and kind of disconnection. But it's also offering us um, these moments of uh, restfulness and spaciousness and peace. And I, I remember when I first, I remember two weeks before, before COVID even kind of hit Australia and I was looking at my diary for the next three months, flicking the pages, going, how am I going to fit all this in? What have I done? This is, this is crazy. I'm not going to be able to write a book and do all this. And then when we went into lockdown, there was a sense of like deep relief when all the events got cancelled. And so it's, it's really giving me that ref reflective time. Like what, when, when, when we open up again to gatherings, what is most important to me? What do I feel is my deepest heart, my deepest offering? And really honing and refining um, how I spend these precious days, minutes, um, weeks of my life. And, of course, I'm not the first person to kind of reflect on the fact that COVID could be a bit of a kind of dress rehearsal for the bigger challenge coming 
or here already, which is runaway climate change. I saw this meme online this morning. It had two scientists looking at the kind of like flattened curve and saying, oh, I'll be happy when all this is over. And they've, they've got their backs to this enormous tidal wave of climate change huh. behind them. Mm. You know, so like mm. these are the choices. We're actually, you know, we're, it's almost like we're being given an opportunity now to, um, to not, you know, to actually turn around and look at that tidal wave in this liminal space and go, well, what choices do we want to make here, knowing that this is this is this much smaller wave right now than we're dealing with than, than what's coming. I just want to also add that if there are any business leaders, politicians, thought leaders on this call to sort of empower and give permission that that accountability can happen organisationally and that it's really, it's really hard to pivot that that this forced separation and the reintegration will require new systems design and that there are a lot of people thinking into this and you have permission to rethink how to to integrate all the good bits Mm. Um, and I want to say I have a lot of compassion particularly for those because there's a question here how to you know how to talk to people who can't wait for things to return to normal I think that's a lot of anxiety because normal is known. And mm. I feel a lot of compassion, um, particularly for a couple of baby boomers who I love and know, uh, who really, you know, they set up, there was a system and it worked for us. <laughs> um, mm. and, and to understand that to pivot infrastructure, all the things we're talking about, pivot that inner and outer landscape so that we can hold on to these sacred things, mm. that, that might not that might not happen initially, and I'm starting to work with words like faith and trust mm. that, that keep, keep showing up in your local community for yourself, for your family, for your local community, for your business mm. with this intentionality and, and we can only look at the long game, not the short game, or we'll get exhausted. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I recognise that for a lot of people, especially those who live alone, I mean, it is, it's a time of deep suffering as well. You know, like it, it's loneliness is is also a pandemic right now, and I really look forward to when we can when we can gather together, and it'll be interesting discussion. I think about um, a, a value discussion about appropriate risk and where the risk of of living well, um, where does that where does that come in? That value of um, being able to meet together. And um, to live well and to, to create, to co-create, um, because, you know, there's a real fear that, that uh, a kind of state of control will, will eventuate from this, um, you know, that we'll be so scared into, into accepting greater controls of our, um, and limits to our freedom. Um, so that's a, that's another kind of debate I think that's going to be really really interesting and and probably um, difficult to have. But um, yeah, there's I can't imagine many people and that's such such an incredible statistic in the UK. We don't want to go back to business as usual. You know, we don't want to go back to lives that were with agenda. Um, there's, some, like there's something in this pause. When, when actually 10 people now benefit. <laughs> right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's quite hard to allow a lot of these things, though, even in forced lockdown. It's hard to allow mm. a lot of the things there that you found um, happen for you in the wild in that mm. year. It's hard to allow the changing of time. It's hard. You know, I think a lot of people are talking about a rise in depression. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not convinced everyone's depressed. I think everyone's just feeling a mm. load of feelings yes. and that they're all okay and that we're all feeling them and there's sadness and grief. Like yes. I'm not sure if we're even naming things properly because that's it's right. big. Yeah, yeah. And I would really encourage um, one of the kind of questions that we ask each other is, you know, how, where, where's your grief? Where are you, where's your heart? Like, what, what are you really feeling right now? Because my experience and, and uh, certainly I'm hearing there is a, a, a deep emotional current of grief, um, happening right now. And it's, it's partly because we have the space to actually reflect on the mess that we're in and that this is not 
this is not just something that is going to go away, this kind of like disruption or interruption or, um, you know, suffering is actually, is actually very much, um, you know, present in the, in the kind of runaway climate change spectre. It's something that we're going to really need to, at, you know, initially focus and express the emotional reality of what we're feeling so that we can open to a new story, so that we can have the, the kind of clarity that comes when we, when we speak the truth in our hearts to then um, know the choices that we want to make. Mm-hmm. And as our beautiful friend Lydia Fairhall, an Indigenous woman who was on a call with us a few weeks ago, said, has said to me many times, we really have to invest in the new dreaming. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we have to just do that with enormous grace mm-hmm. and courage and love because I think organising from trauma and anxiety will fuck us over ten times, mm-hmm. like, but it's ten steps backwards and we can't organise from trauma. We have mm-hmm. to is really my appeal to everyone on this call because you guys are the like best of the best um, mm-hmm. to organise from places in ourselves that are generative so that mm-hmm. we don't come out of this exhausted yes. and broken by what was lost but to know right. that that it is being felt by us right now collectively. It is mm. precious and that's why we're gathering on Mondays to be with one mm. another. Yeah, and, really- and I know a lot of people are actually expressing that they're feeling more connected because they're having more honest conversations with people. Um, And I know my household, you know, I live in a share house and we've had to have a lot of very open, honest, consistent, regular conversations because we can't operate as as kind of just satellites around each other anymore. We we, we have to operate as a family, um, as one organism, because what someone does directly affects someone else in the house. So it's been kind of like the best of times and the worst of times here at the River House. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the kind of like extent to which we need to collaborate um, and communicate has been both incredibly challenging but also beautiful. Um, yeah. I just want to um, make a shout-out that I was um, I just asked not to put everything on boomers. I love boomers. I love you so much. You're my people. You do. You say well, that often. You're my parents. <laughs> and, I, I, and I actually have enormous reverence and, and, and that's what I was trying to say was compassion. I think that we are going from an, in, through an intergenerational and epoch-defining moment and we need to walk with compassion together and not blame and um, sort of tear down but to really understand that the systems change is happening. It's so deep and we need to hold hands, you know, as I said last time, as we hospice an old system that hasn't served us and we midwife the new, there's going to be a bridge. And, like, I would totally love to be the one who is in the midwife. Like, I just want to go to the new place that we're all imagining, um, mm. but I don't think our generation's going to see it even. Um, mm. But we have to um, hold that uncertainty we've all been talking about and hold hands intergenerationally both from Mm. the beloved boomers um, to our children and beyond and say this is the work of generations and Mm. that's 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 really right well that's and putting putting our brick in the bridge you know putting our piece in the bridge that um we might not be able to walk over to the other side by the end of our life but um you know the, the hope and the joy comes from having the opportunity to participate in it to be able to add something to that shift. Hmm. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for reporting back from the River House. Yeah, diaries <laughs> from the River House. Thanks for the yeah, opportunity. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. When will the book be out? Is it something that we can talk about or promote yet? Or? Uh, well, I have to finish it first. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Thank you, lockdown. Um, but probably it, it will be... Um, Probably about a year from now it'll be out. A year from now. Okay, yep. cool. On Urban Rewilding. Well, yep. thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, thank for being part of the chat. Thank We're going to send you the resources um, in an email following this and a pod- this podcast to share around. Um, and also we've got a two-for-one offer at Dumbo Feather. If you want to buy a mag, you can gift one to a loved one, a neighbour, someone in isolation. Spread the love. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next Monday. Lots and lots of love. Appreciate it. I wonder if we can get the tunes back on, Miranda, while everyone leaves the building. Oh, yeah, baby. party as we go. (laughs) See you guys. Bye, Bye, Claire. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everyone.
resilient I trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again and again I'll close my mouth and learn to live 